University's talk show, Taking Old School Viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring my mind back to myself? Hello, neighbor, and welcome to Folk U Radio, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? Folk University is an experiment in neighborliness, in slow learning, in using our interests, our skills, and our beliefs as a way of connecting and bringing each other closer in community. Today, we bring you another special FOCU hybrid show, where we'll be learning practical, proactive tools and ways to use landscaping and native plants to help protect our homes from fire. Later, we will roll up our sleeves and get to see firescaping in action for those who are here. Where is here? Here is under the tent at the community commons behind the Cortez radio station in Manson's village. And we went all out calling up just amazing weather for today. A little rain, a little a little more rain, and then a little more rain. But right now, there's only a little tiny bit of rain, and there is a covered tent. So we do hope you'll come on down and be part of being in community and learning together. Where are you listening from today, neighbor? Who are the people that have walked and cared for the land, the water, and the air where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Klahus, the Klaaman, and the Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, the people who've walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. So we're going to have just about two minutes of music or so while I run full speed out to the tent um, where we will continue today's uh, amazing show with Autumn, who's going to be our professor to lead us through today's learning. So stay tuned if you're in the comfort of your own home. If you are near enough to jump into your car or on your bike and get on down here, it is, it's nicer than it looks. So we hope you'll join us. And either way, stay tuned because more is to come.
to Folk U Radio, where we are live under the tent in the community commons behind the radio station in the little Manson's Village area. So if you're listening from home because you're afraid of this little bit of rain, come on down. How, how is it, guys? Is it is it nice? Is it worth it? See, see the live, live studio audience to participate in today's show, where we're going to learn about firescaping, um, as mentioned before. So, welcome, Autumn. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I thought maybe we could start f- with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how today came about, and then you can launch into to the class. Sounds great. Yeah, so um, my name is Autumn and I'm on the board of the Friends of Cortez Island Society. And today's event has been sponsored by the Strathcona Regional District and the Cortez Community Health Association, Folk University, CKTZ, Cortez Community Radio, Teen Zine, and there's also some support from Friends of Cortez Island Society and the local fire hall too. So I just want to give my big thanks to everyone there. The fire hall even showed up with some resources, which is fantastic. Thanks, guys. And that is not canned. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> A live audience. Um, yeah, so today's event, I'm going to be speaking about fires and firescaping. And tomorrow I'm also going to be doing an event for the teens at the skate park and hopefully the rain holds off for that as well so I can teach the teens about firescaping and we can actually firescape around the skate park so we can keep our skate park safe too um, because we know concrete and fire don't mix well so I'm really excited about that tomorrow as well we're gonna they're also get ice cream sundaes sorry guys Um, and they get some yeah (laughs) and there's some fire resistant native plants that they'll get as well they can plant at home and they'll get some gear and some skills too. So, you know, if what we learned today, it's it's a lot of information and there's a lot of work to be done and things that we can just keep chipping away at, but there might be some teens that you can hire to help you do some firescaping around your home after tomorrow. So, just wanted to do a little plug there. And yeah, I've been learning about firescaping for the past few months now and I'm really excited to be sharing about it today because some of the things that I've learned weren't very, they they seemed obvious once I read them, but I wouldn't have necessarily thought about them if I hadn't read them. And once I put them in practice as well, that really showed me how important firescaping is because there's so much fuel for fire that's out of sight and out of mind in and around our homes. So, um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's so much resources out there, I have to say. It's not a conversation that's talked about very much, but I hope that this can be an opening to a conversation in this community and with each other to talk about, um, yeah, just the different fire risks and how we can support each other. So, I get excited about firescaping because when I think about firescaping, it seems proactive, like something that we can do that's not just um, taking down trees. But I realize I don't know if I actually know what firescaping is. Can you give us sort of a baseline definition? Totally. Yeah. So firescaping is essentially creating a defensible space around our homes. So creating a buffer zone to reducing the amount of fuel, um, fuel load around our homes. So that's like any like the forest litter any sticks and twigs even pieces of plastic right up to our wood piles and gasoline and just being aware of all of these risks and I'll dive into that today Um, and just knowing firescaping is essentially broken down into different zones so there's zone zero that's immediately our home and around our home and then the next zone is 10 meters away, next zone is 30, and the next zone is 100 meters away. So the first two zones are very the most important because our most of our homes are major fuel for fire if they're made out of wood and or plastic. So taking care of those first two zones is so important, and that's what I love about it too, is it's feasible, proactive actions that we can take pretty much as soon as we get home if we feel motivated and... It's something, there's there's short-term actions and there's also long-term plans and goals within firescaping as well. But I hope today to kind of open your eyes to the fire risks and to um, all the ways that we can, we can reduce the fuel load around our homes. 
And um, yeah, I also just wanted to do a little plug here again, too. We wanted to do this timing, so we had a few weeks before the Strathcona Regional District is actually picking up our woody debris at the end of our road, which is a byproduct of firescaping. So I think this is such a fantastic opportunity to really learn about the fire risks, go home and put it into practice so you keep it fresh and you can really see the difference that firescaping makes. And then you actually, we have folks that are taking care of our, our woody debris and they'll be picking it up on June 19th and they're going to be wood chipping it and donating all of those wood chips back to the community to, to look for local organizations to help continue to build soil and retain water in the soil and all of the good stuff that carbon does when it's captured in soil. So um, the one thing that they ask with that too is just with our woody debris to pile it neatly at the end of our driveways before June 19th with the butt ends all facing the same direction and not in making sure you're leaving out any invasive species such as holly or scotch broom or blackberry or Japanese knotweed. No blackberry, yeah. So we'll have to find other ways to get creative with how to dispose of that. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to keep that on top of your minds that, you know, there is actually something that we can work toward too, June 19th. Um, so I guess I'll just kind of, I can get into my firescaping little spiel here and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell us where to begin and um, we'd love to hear more. Cool. So firescaping, as I said, is essentially creating defensible space around our homes reducing the amount of fuel load for um, for fire so that's through maintenance as well as landscape design so intentionally planting plants that are naturally fire resistant and being either removing or just being cognizant of and maintaining plants that are naturally flammable and I'll talk about that in a little a moment here but essentially the whole intention is not only to stop our infrastructure from burning, but to also slow a fire down from spreading further out because not only are our homes so important to protect from burning, but the forests are our homes too. We lit, we're a forested community. And so it's really important to find ways that we can not only safeguard our homes, but the forest as well. So firescaping was birthed out of FireSmart which is um, a certification and a whole principle, and I'm sure that some of the fire hall folks would be able to speak more to that. I'm going to focus more on specifically firescaping today. But again, there's lots of resources out there for fire smarts and firescaping, including you know checking in with your local fire hall and seeing what resources they have and also offering support to our local fire halls for all that they do for us in our communities too, whenever you can. And also just checking online, just looking up, Firescaping or fire smarts, there's so many, so many resources out there. And I also just recently discovered a podcast called Get Fire Smart. And there's so many interviews on there talking about cultural burning, talking about firescaping and fire smarts and preparations. And it's really quite in depth. I really have learned and gleaned a lot from those interviews. So I highly recommend that. You can check it out on Spotify or whatever, your podcast sources. And then, of course, I have some of these booklets here. Um, they're on firescaping, and the fire hall also brought some fire smart booklets. And after tomorrow, we'll leave them in the post office so that anyone who's listening on the radio here can pick them up as they so desire. And if you're tuning in from another community, I, I'll, I just encourage you to build a relationship with your local fire hall. And yeah, check out those resources online and podcasts. Um, yeah, so again, so firescaping creating a buffer zone around our homes through maintenance and landscape design. And there are short-term action plans that we can take immediately. It's firescaping is ongoing as the forest is continually dropping dead and woody debris. Um, and there's also long-term goals and plans that we can make. And I'll get into that. I just really want to speak to very briefly about the history of fires and where we're at today with fires. So of course, Fires have been shaping landscapes since the beginning of time, and with the landscapes, been shaping cultures as well. And natural fires are started by lightning, and that happens when a lightning strikes, and there's enough heat generated from the electricity where it strikes that if it's dry enough and there's enough fuel for a fodder, a, um, a fire will start. And so, still to this day, of course, many wildfires are started by lightning. 
Um, and there's also cultural burning, which is an ancient practice that is also still being practiced today, which is using fire to regenerate ecosystems and to maintain and harvest cultural and traditional foods, and also to create fire breaks. Without fires, it, forests would really take over all, all ecosystems um, just through succession. So having fire and intentionally con using controlled fire to regenerate ecosystems, it... It's amazing. And these ancient practices also inform um, prescribed burns. And prescribed burns are performed by organizations such as the BC Forest Service. And often um, they work alongside Indigenous nations to, with, the, with the same intention of regenerating ecosystems and maintaining and harvesting cultural foods and creating fire breaks. So it's really important stuff. But then there's, of course, the uncontrolled and unintentional and, dare I say, irresponsible fires that are started through having campfires and fire season and smoking in a dry area and even lighting our car on dry grass sometimes can start fires. So um, that, that is a big cause of a lot of the fires today. And then, of course, on top of all of that, there's climate change and climate change being accelerated by big industry and essentially through the destruction of ecosystems, destroying the ecological functions of those ecosystems and the soil so the ecosystems aren't as adaptable to these extreme weather events such as droughts and floods. So all of that being said, fires, again, have been shaping the earth since the beginning of time. And it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when a fire will happen. And even on a rainy day like today, we don't know what, what will come in the summer. So it's just really good to be prepared. And yeah, there's so many ways to be prepared. And firescaping is one of those main ones. Um, so fire smarts, just to touch on this again briefly, fire smarts... Um, I have found that sometimes the fire smarts aren't necessarily tailored to forested communities. So there's a really, <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, so I just invite you to use discernment and take home what you feel is really feasible and just do your best. That's kind of the ultimate goal as fire smart to do, um, to follow those protocols. But I think it's, it's really um, important to, again, use discernment and using fire smarts as an opportunity to really educate yourself to know the fire risks so at least so at least you know and then you can do what you feel you can do what you have the resources to do and go from there so um i guess we can start diving into the zones so the so firescaping again these buffer zones around our home Depending on where you look, there's either four zones or three zones. I've been basing it off of four zones, including the house as a zone, zone zero. And I'll break down each zone here to, um, to really get a sense of what we need to focus on in each of those zones. And that being said, too, when we take this information home, it's best to start at the home and move out. So do what you can immediately around your house and then work to, towards the further zones as well. And the first zone zero and zone one, which is up to 10 meters from your home, are the most important, um, they're the most important zones to make those big changes and those changes will make the most significant impact. Yeah. So I also want to encourage us to um, maybe I'll probably mention this again afterwards but a byproduct of firescaping is um, large amounts of woody debris often especially in forested communities so I encourage you to get creative with how you use your woody debris and we don't necessarily need to burn and release carbon back into the atmosphere to um, get rid of this woody debris, but there's really creative ways that we can, we can work with that and still be a part of the ecosystem and still creating little wildlife habitat and homes with woody debris in further zones away from our home. I've personally had an experience where I 
when I was fire escaping around my home, there was some more decomposed alder logs that were quite wet and quite large. So I feel like less of a fire risk than little spindly twigs and branches. And in a further zone, I stacked them neatly and I, there's snakes living in there now and snails and I see birds checking it out around there. So I really invite you to get creative. And I think that the SRD is also getting creative in, in wood chipping. So, okay, so zone zero, again, is immediately around our home. So our building and 1.5 meters away from our building. And here it's really important to at least be aware of what your home is made out of and if it's combustible or flammable and making adjustments as necessary if you have those resources. And starting from the top down, clean, making sure your roof is cleaned off because again, we live in forests and there's lots of so-called debris that's falling off of the trees and collecting on our roofs. And when we think about fires traveling, it's not necessarily just the wind um, Push, pushing the wall of fire towards our homes, it's also those embers. So when we're firescaping, we're considering, of course, that big wall of fire, but also those embers. And so if those embers land in a pile of dry debris and um, twigs and needles, then that will, that can cause the fire to spread even further. And the whole intention, again, with firescaping is to stop infrastructure from burning and to slow it from spreading further out. So cleaning off our roofs and with that material, putting it maybe into a further zone um, and finding ways to get creative with that material as well. Also cleaning out your gutters. Again, if an ember landed in your gutter, that would immediately cause problems around your home. Making sure in this first zone that your wood pile in the summer anyways isn't, isn't in this zone. And recommended that the wood pile is at least 10, if not 30 meters or more away from your home during the summer, because of course that's major fuel for fire. And this was the one that really wasn't obvious to me until I read it and then I did it, which was raking under my deck. And I was really surprised at the amount of dog hair that was under there and the leaves and twigs and bits of plastic that had fallen through and... That once I raked that out and I saw the amount of fodder there was for fire, I was really, I was really, that's kind of hooked me into fire escaping, to be honest. So raking out onto your deck in this zone. And if you have any trees or plants around your home, making sure that they're fire resistant plants. So fire resistant plants are plants, mostly deciduous plants or leafy plants that have a high moisture content and they don't have. Um, much debris falling or dead dead debris falling off of them but it is actually recommended in terms of fire smarts to keep still keep keep those plants further away from your home but if you do find that those plants are around your home there are some people that like having vines growing around your home just knowing that that is a risk and uh, just especially around the home to do your best to make sure that your plants are really well watered they're healthy they're really well fed so they're really resilient to any any changes in the, in the environment and also if you have gardens around your home to like look at the mulch type and see if you're using straw or wood those are fuel for fire so considering just using ground covers and or like rock um rock mulch and that's yeah that's pretty important especially around the home and then of course just general maintenance this is one that I'll speak to in every zone is just pruning any dead and diseased material and removing it from from those zones something that you can also consider in zone one is to maybe introduce a green roof onto your home that's a possibility and consider it's also good to consider to if you're where your house is actually situated on the landscape, are you at the bottom of a slope? Are you at the top of a slope? Fire travels up slopes much faster, so just knowing where you are is really is really important, and it might cause you to make some adjustments as necessary and take things a little bit more seriously in certain zones. And then, of course. Um, I just want to mention this piece as well, just having your grab and go bag 
reaching out to your local fire department if you have any questions about if there is a fire here what are the last minute things that you can do to prepare to close all of your vents and to remove your patio furniture away from your home and where to what to do with your propane tanks and things like this these are all very good questions and um our fire department will likely have those answers and another piece too that is cardboard like we all have cardboard boxes and leaving them around our homes too is not a good idea in the fire season so just removing those cardboard boxes maybe using those in mulch in a further zone in your gardens or something um and also a really important important piece in especially zone zero and zone one is to have tools nearby to have shovels and rakes so that if there is embers that land you can put them out readily and you can also have strategically placed water buckets around your home just full of water so that you can dump uh, water on a an ember if it if something sparks or starts whether it be by you or from an incoming fire But that being said, I also am a lover of bees, so I know that bees do tend to drink water. So if you can make a little escape route or a little pile of stones in that bucket so the bees can still get out, that's really important too for me personally because I have accidentally seen um, drowned bees in water before. Um, Yeah, so how how does that... What do you think, Amanda? That's zone zero. Do you have any questions about zone zero? I feel like I need to go home and start getting my zone zero um i i i'm going to put out now that i would maybe later we can have someone from the fire department mm-hmm. actually tell us a couple things about for instance immediately i was like what do we do with propane tanks mm-hmm. like, if we know there's a fire coming to our area what are we what are we gonna do so i i'm giving you a solid i don't know like half hour or 45 minutes team <laughs> from the fire department to know at least one of the questions i'm going to make one of you come and answer um Perfect. so i think that was a really um good and and positive and i just got lots of ideas about what actually could be done and i want to just say i super appreciate this idea that some of us have plants that are growing even in zone zero or one or big trees that we know we should cut down but are not ever going to. Uh, (laughs) So this is the first time that I heard anyone say, oh, okay, then if you aren't going to cut them down, it's extra important to keep them well-fed, keep them well-watered, and have them be uh, less maybe flammable. So Mm -hmm. that felt really positive and mm-hmm. um pretty proactive so thank you so i'm ready i think i'm ready for zone one perfect yeah and just on that note too with those large trees that are around your home the best thing you can do is rake up underneath of those trees make sure they're pruned two meters up off of the ground so that if a fire starts on the ground it, there's not a fuel ladder to go up the tree very quickly so that's really important. And then of just, of course, the general maintenance of, of pruning and um, removing any dead and diseased material. And also, um, it would be a good idea con- to consider, and a lot of this firescaping is actually ecoforestry practices, which is you know thinning, thinning the forest, making sure that there are s- is enough space around like three, they recommend like three to six meters between each tree. And so the fire can't spread as readily in a, in, as, as it would in a dense forest. So maybe consider thinning and also to prune two meters up off of the ground and, and then, of course, assessing the health of the tree and, and making decisions from there as well. Uh, so zone one is up to 10 meters away from your home. And as I say, the changes within the zone can make the most significant impact because the the further zones, zones uh, two and three, those I, the way that I've been thinking about it anyways is thinking about those zones where if there's a fire coming and there's a wall of fire, then it will can create a fire break, hopefully. But these first two zones are considering those embers that are coming and landing. So mowing your grass making sure your grass is well mowed and they recommend under 10 centimeters but really as low as you can is great and of course keeping it well watered and healthy looking at your mulch again what kind of mulch are you using in the zone what plants are you growing in the zone are there flammable plants Um, so 
I guess I'll just speak to the, the fire-resistant plants again. So fire-resistant plants are plants that are have moist, supple leaves, and they have like a have a strong bark. They don't drop as much dead material, and yeah, th- those plants are more resistant to to fires. And if there was an incoming fire, those plants might die, but they hopefully won't won't be actual fuel for the fire and help it spread further. So any deciduous tree or plant, essentially, any leafy plant, um, with a few exceptions of holly and scotch broom, which are both invasive plants anyways, we don't want them around, (laughs) they're really high in volatile oils and resins and such, so those make them more flammable. So um, there's a a Fire Smart booklet that was created out of Campbell River as a guide to gardening for Fire Smarts. And again, these resources will be available in the Manson's post office. And for those folks here, yeah, feel free to take home whatever you need. And that list of plants in that book, too, is including but not limited to those plants. Those were just some suggestions. And they, of course, speak to fire-resistant native plants as well so that we can also be contributing to um, being a part of this ecosystem in a good way and feeding the pollinators and the soil and and working with all of that as well, which is a really big passion of mine, wildlife um, and habitat enhancement. yeah, so just looking at the plant types around within 10 meters of your home and pruning any dead and diseased material. Again, pruning two meters up off the ground. Consider thinning out your trees if you have trees in this zone, which most of us do on the island, um, and or removing the trees. And is your maybe is your, if your wood piles in this zone, consider maybe again in the summer having a winter location and a summer location, moving that wood pile out to a further zone, and moving making sure any gasoline or your storage, um, any patio furniture or any of your sheds are best in a further zone. So consider moving those into an outer zone, um, and just of course can the the raking up of the the forest litter so called and all that debris and getting um, creative as well by maybe putting that into a further zone too. So we can still be contributing to building soil further out. And, you know, so many critters and creatures rely on that forest floor to to survive. So still being able to offer that, but making it not a fire risk in and around that your home, which is a large fuel load, most likely. And um, another one in this zone too, is just consider your driveway. Is your driveway cleared? And making sure that you have a safe escape route if there is a fire coming, and making sure that your street address is visible for your fire department. So they, if you give them a call, they know where to go. That mostly sums it up in zone one. So again, it's just general, general maintenance and a few fire resistant landscaping thoughts and ideas. Um, so making sure that they're well pruned, they're healthy, they're, the spacing is good, you're using a fire-resistant mulch, and so on and so forth. Zone 2, I'm just going to take a sip of water here. Zone 2, very similar, is looking at your plant types and the spacing between your plants. So again... I think the most important part about fire smarts and firescaping is to just know your risks. And that's what I, again, hope to hope to be able to open up the conversation about because if we don't know our risks, we won't do anything about it. So at least knowing our risks, we know what actions we feel, especially knowing our homes and knowing the landscape we're on, what is most important to do. So wait, was zone two um, 30 30 feet 30 meters 30 meters 30 meters 30 meters around the okay yeah so 30 meters are 90 feet which is actually quite a significant distance from your home and some of this depending on where you live zone two and zone three your buffer zones might overlap with your neighbors so it's really great to work together and to talk about how you can work together to reduce the fuel load and then you can share the load of firescaping together so I've been actually, I just bought a landscape tape and I've been taking that and measuring in a circumference around my home, including my deck as well, 10, you know, whatever the distance is that I'm 
looking to measure, then that really gave me a very clear idea of what the distance is, because otherwise I would have really just been guessing and not really sure. And so if you have access to one of those, highly recommend. And um, otherwise, just you can always do the good old method of using your footsteps and measuring your footsteps and, and testing it out that way, too. Um, so, yeah, so zone two is 30 meters from your home. And, yeah, much of the same things is just knowing your plant types, consider thinning your trees to make sure that spacing is appropriate, using appropriate mulch in this zone, moving your firewood pile at least to this zone for the summer, um, prune trees up two meters off of the ground, and just a general maintenance of the area. And this is an area, too, that if you have the resources and time, or maybe this is one of those longer-term plans, is to introduce a swale onto your property or to have a water retention pond to, um, to have in case of a fire, but also to retain water into the soil for as long as you can. And... Those are the big ones for zone two. It's a lot of repeated information. Um, and again, there's lots of resources out there. If some of this slips your mind, just there's you can check it out online or in these booklets that, uh, that will be handed out. And then in zone three, zone three is up to 100 meters away from your home. So again, this might be a zone that is overlapping with your neighbors so just check in with your neighbors and see what you can do to work together and maybe even just to assess the risks together you might also consider hiring or asking an arborist to come to give a consultation or to actually do some tree work as well and yeah to again two meters up off the ground proper spacing between your plants and you know, if your power lines aren't cleared, then reaching out to hydro to make sure that those are taken care of. And in this zone, of course, we just want to make sure, yeah, how can we create a fire break? And so just looking at your landscape from, um, from that lens, how can we create a fire break? What are the fuel? Uh, what's the fuel in this zone? And yeah, just... I'll just repeat again too, just again, always consider native plants and fire resistant native plants and consider how the, you, the changes that you're making in the landscape, how it could impact the wildlife that you also consider neighbors. So just using your discernment and trying to find ways to get creative to not only take care of your home, but take care of the ecosystem around your home as well. So when we, um, you talked earlier about taking uh, the blackberry uh, branches or whatever that um, you might make into soil or want to get out of your zone zero, zone one, mm -hmm. as far away as you can. Okay, so they're probably in your zone two or your zone three. Mm -hmm. um, and what, like, how best to use those? Um, you know, realistically, it's in my life at least, going to look something like I'll be lucky to drag it there into the woods and then I am going to pile it up probably. Um, and I've done this before and then I started freaking out because it was like, oh, now there's a bunch of dry branches mm -hmm. sitting in the woods on the edge of my property. So what, um, what is a better way to uh, use to take that kind of debris and that woody debris especially mm -hmm. and have it hopefully become soil one day mm -hmm. well i think with blackberries in particular because it is an invasive plant that i'm not a huge advocate for burn piles because i do recognize the the what it supports and what it supplies in an ecosystem and i've seen so many critters living in those burnt piles that eventually get burned and then of course the releasing of carbon i just don't feel is necessary but with invasive species i do feel like that is an okay thing to burn because we are constantly trying to keep those invasive species at bay so with invasive species i would consider burning um, you can get creative and it's a little bit pokey, but you can use them as wattles as well, especially if they're um, not touching, not using it as your lower wattle. So you're essentially using it to weave a little fence. Again, it's quite pokey, so that might not be ideal for everyone, but just making sure that, uh, that it's not actually touching the ground so it doesn't have anywhere to root and to continue to live. Um, that's one way with blackberries that I, that I think about. Um, 
But with other plants, I think about what I what I mentioned earlier was using those larger logs, putting them in a further zone, and stacking them neatly and and kind of considering them houses for for wildlife and i've as i said i've seen snakes and salamanders and slugs and snails and birds all around there so not very quickly after i put them there too is quite amazing um so considering things like that um and then using the the smaller stuff like i have a very small wood stove so i can cut up a lot of the smaller stuff and use it in my wood stove um, but I would also consider you making hugel beds, which is essentially using large woody debris to smaller woody debris um, stacked in a, in a garden bed and then putting soil on top and mulch on top and continuing to build soil so that over time that, that uh, woody debris will decompose and be turned into soil. So that's one creative way that I consider as well is for gardening. Um, yeah, I'd say those are the those are the two biggest ways, and then wood chipping, that's a really fantastic way. Yeah, uh, this is a good time to do a little plug, which is that there's a lot that went on behind the scenes with local groups and the SRD this year, so that we could have our wood chips come back to the island. Because I can't just be here that people know the preciousness of wood chips <laughs> for both being future soil, but also for uh, use. Like this year, one of the places they're going to be used is in the wetlands um, that's being created <clears throat> around Linnea Farm. And I think, wow, you know, a lot of battles went just so that we could keep our our you know, future soil on the island. So that's mm-hmm. pretty exciting. So I, I do hope that people are going to participate this year if they need it. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, and maybe this is a little bit more theoretical, but we've done now quite a few folk you radio shows where we've brought in different people who've talked about all sorts of aspects of fire, everything from the incredible climate at, uh, impact of, of wildfires. I mean, it's, astounding what is released uh, into the atmosphere. I mean, we would, you know, virtually never recover from a sense of how much uh, carbon we would, would suddenly be released into the atmosphere, but also, I mean, come on, we can all imagine the millions of other things that we would never recover from on this island if we had a, an out-of-control wildfire. And then also just the reality that our forests here, while we have some really, really healthy forests, we also have some pretty unhealthy forests. And so one of the things that really struck me when the woman from BC Wildfire came last time is that she talked about when you look out and you see these forests where it's just a wall of green because there's underbrush and then there's lower limbs and they're all really close to each other, that that's not, that is really risky from a fire perspective mm-hmm. um, and I look around and in a lot of the places where people live on this island we are surrounded by walls of green uh, and often those walls of green are other people's property um, and sometimes other people's property who aren't always here and I, you know I think that's a constant struggle of like what do you do with not best practices that might impact us. And I, I, I guess it's less of a question but and more of a hope that you might have some things that you're seeing that are inspiring models around that. And also, are you hearing about controlled burns happening in any communities um, as a way to mitigate some of that wall of green aspect? Well, I think just speaking to the the maintenance of neighboring properties, I think that, again, we can just use this as an education tool. And the more that we kind of resource ourselves with this information, we can use it as a, as a, as a topic of conversation to bring up with our neighbors in a kind way, just to let them know of the fire risks and share with them um, the, your, the risk assessment that you've done in and around your homes. And so I think that that's a really important piece is to be able to speak to, to speak to these things and to speak to the risks and even taking it a step further if we see someone who is having a campfire outside of or, or rather within fire season or smoking in a dry area. I really want to encourage us all to feel um, compelled to, to speak to it in a kind way and to also reach out to the... Uh, 
And if you don't feel comfortable with doing that, to reach out to your fire hall and ask for any advice on how you can um, mitigate or if maybe they can show up to help with that. And in terms of controlled burns, I, on around the islands, I'm not actually entirely sure. I, from as far as I understand, um, I don't know that it's a practice that was practiced on the islands, but it does uh, controlled burns and prescribed burns happen in the interior. And the BC Forest Service was working was working with Indigenous nations in the interior to do controlled burns. I'm not sure about the islands, though. That's also a question that I've had and been curious to find more information about. Thank you so much. And I, I just want to say again that it is quite empowering to remember that there are things that we can do. Um, I am certainly guilty of being one of those people who's like, oh, I don't want to take that tree. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I, I really appreciate how you started at the beginning, too, because I think Fire Smart sometimes feels like it's made for more urbanized communities uh, versus here. It, like you know we kind of live in a forest um, mm -hmm. and so kind of figuring out these realistic strategies and how to balance them yeah. is, is a really nice thing about firescaping and so yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited about the potential around that and we do have this burning question uh, and then I'm going to open it up some questions from our live studio audience if you have them but at, on the top of my mind is the burning question of what do we do with propane tanks if we're in a fire situation and other things we should be thinking about, you know, last minute before we grab our grab and go <laughs> bag to, to actually be doing um, before we run out of the house. And we are really lucky because I see that we have Eli McKenty walking towards the mic, kind of reluctantly walking towards the mic. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> thanks for putting this on. It's oh, a my pleasure. Super important information for everyone. Thanks, Autumn. Um, so I was taking a few notes there. I didn't really have anything prepared for this event, but um, <laughs> propane tanks. I I don't know of an official policy on that, but what I would say is basically, if there's an area on your property where they are least likely to be directly impinged on by fire, so in a a more clear area, potentially a driveway area, as long as it's not affecting access or a clearing, something well away from structures and trees where it's not going to have fire right against it. They can, I've, I've been on fire scenes and seen that they can actually survive a fair bit of heat before they start venting, and they are designed to vent off prior to exploding, but you can never really count on that. But yeah, basically make sure they're as far as possible away from things that are going to heat them unnecessarily and things that would be damaged if they did go off. Like your house. Like your house, <laughs> primarily. Um, what was your next question? What else should we be doing as we're running out of the oh, house? Right. Um, well, <laughs> you know, last minute. One of the best things, if you're set up for it, is to turn on a sprinkler system. So having a home protection sprinkler system can actually make a huge difference because for one thing it wets down the areas around your home that would tend to collect embers and be sources of ignition. And it also uh, creates basically a humidity bubble around your, your home and as much of your property as you're able to protect. And uh, that significantly reduces the chance of ignition. And there are lots of stories about homes in you know remote areas where the homeowners have turned on a sprinkler system and evacuated and come back to find the whole area burned over except for basically their yard and house so they actually can make quite a big difference um, having water to supply them can be a challenge because if it's a major incident we would most likely lose grid power and a lot of a lot of people who are trying to set up a system will have a small gas-powered pump and run it off of a pond or a tank or whatever and have it set up so that it will run for as long as possible and they fuel it up and make sure their water source is good and fire it up before they leave. Uh, it also makes it much easier for the fire department to try and protect a property if the homeowner has already made that kind of preparation. We also have an order form here for the WASP fire protection sprinkler kits. 
that people can order through the fire department, and uh, we get a discount from the manufacturer. So we make a little bit of money on it, and uh, they're they're the same units that we carry for structure protection, and they're a pretty robust plastic, non-corroding sprinkler that you can hook onto gutters and stuff like that. And where can people find those uh, if they're not here at this event but are really excited about them? Um, looks like there's a website for WASP, which is waspwildfire.ca. And will you leave some of these forms around yes, at I the will. post offices? Yeah. And uh, also, anybody can get in touch with the fire department, too, if they're interested, or probably ask any fire department member, and they can point you in the right direction. Any other last-minute bits of advice you'd like to give us about firescaping? Um, it's super important. We're a fairly small department, considering the area that we cover, and every little bit helps. So in the event of a major wildfire, we would be stretched super thin, and uh, we would have to put our resources where they could make the most difference. And so... Uh, Firescaping and fire smarting your home would would be a significant step towards making it possible for us to protect it in the event of a major incident. And there's a couple of things that you that Autumn touched over that I was just going to bring up again. The trees that you don't want to remove entirely. What she was saying about removing ladder fuels and spacing them is is quite important. And as far as spacing goes, one of the things they look for is non-overlapping crowns. So if the, the upper portion of trees, the adjacent trees, there's space between their crowns, that really helps cut down on uh, crown fires, which are generally the, the most intense fires, are where it's the full height of the canopy from the ground up that's burning. And those are almost impossible to deal with at, at our level. So that makes a big difference. And driveways are super important, both for wildfire and for fires in general, because we have big trucks and there are a lot of driveways on the island that we can't take them down. So driveways that aren't brushed out and maintained, uh, we have to park on the road and that really slows down our response time because then we can sometimes have to run, you know, half a kilometer or more of hose lines and it, it takes a significant amount of time which is really important at the beginning of an event. So uh, having an, a driveway that's accessible by our trucks is, makes it a lot easier for us to respond in a timely fashion. And uh, that's another thing if somebody is working on their driveway and would like to get in touch with the fire department, one of us would be happy to have a look and make suggestions as far as what could be done to make it more truck friendly. Um, and then one other thing I wanted to bring up while, while I'm here is that we're actively looking for new members for this fall. We'd like to increase our numbers as much as possible. We have a new chief coming on who's quite excited to uh, run a, a good training program for new recruits. And he has a, quite an extensive list of qualifications as to what he can train for. So we have a bunch of flyers that we'll be leaving around and uh, encouraging anybody who's interested to get in touch and find out what it's all about. I have one other question. Yeah. Um, so if you have a water cistern on your land, um, is that something that the fire department might attach into? And if so, what kind of attachment pieces should people keep on hand? Ah, that's a good question. Um, so there's a couple answers to that. If there is a fire on your property or an adjacent property, we will try and connect to pretty much anything we can find. We've pumped out of swimming pools, ponds, people's firewater tanks, uh, whatever we can get. Um, if it's a fire that's far enough that we have to haul water to it, then we will generally go to our larger water sources just because we can get more runs and it's, uh, it's more reliable for us. But as far as water on your property, it is a really good thing to have. And we have fought fires where we were almost entirely dependent because of long access driveways on water that we could find at the scene. 
and are if you have large water supplies and and would like to invest in the connectors for it our trucks pump off of what's called a four inch storts fitting um, if it's uh, smaller tanks or you're looking for a more inexpensive option we use uh, various sizes of cam lock fittings and uh, fire department specific threaded connectors but that's another item where I would encourage people to just get in touch with the fire department and we can help you source and or specify fittings that are easy for us to connect to. Great. That, that's a good point to bring up. And we always like to know where there are water supplies and how many gallons it is and if somebody's checking on whether the tanks are full and that kind of stuff. So can people, do you want people to actively be calling and just sort of letting you know that stuff and asking these questions or you want them to reach out via email? What's the easiest way for people to send that kind of stuff your way? Uh, email or telephone. Uh, it's all good and we don't end up fielding too many questions so we're happy to talk to people about it. And especially if people have large water supplies we're quite interested in knowing you know, things over a few thousand gallons then start to be more relevant for like relevant for more than just their house so excellent so don't run away autumn i hope you'll come nearer does our live studio audience have any questions they would like to ask if so um you might need to come up to the mic which i know is a little scary a little scary this is an amazing opportunity to be live on the radio or you can whisper it into Autumn's ear and then she can repeat it. That's also okay. Who doesn't? The, the, the live studio audience is desperately looking around like anybody but me. Autumn mentioned the word swale and I wonder, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, Excellent. I'm just going to open up this booklet. I just actually opened it up right to the page. So it's property. It's um. It's water retention on your property. So there's There're shallow trenches that um that help rainwater drain, and they they then the water can thus be stored into the soil, and they're usually to build a swale just from this booklet here. I haven't done one personally myself, but I'm so keen to is to build a swale at least 10 feet away from, from your building because the, the water must drain away from your building as well, of course. And uphill from a garden or a low spot that doesn't drain well. So then it can also be feeding your garden as well. Um, and building a swale along a land's contour. And then there's a whole um, piece which I actually... I'm curious about too. It just says based on the infiltration rate of at least 2.5 centimeters per hour. Do you uh, do you know anything about swales? Um, oh wait, wait, wait. Eli, Eli wants to say something about okay. swales. No, he does not want to say anything about swales. Yeah, I haven't. I don't have any personal experience with swales, but um, but I'm I'm keen to learn more as well. There's so there's a little bit of information on here, and I'm sure there's more online. I also have intentions to look more into, into swales. I know some folks on the island who have experience with swales too. Um, we yeah. could definitely bring, Miranda has talked a little bit about this in a previous FOCU where we were talking a little bit about ditches and, mm. uh, and wetlands. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of that stuff would relate. So we, could, we can definitely bring her back and, and Eli is going to say something. I was just going to say, I would describe a swale as basically a shallow trench which holds rainwater while it has time to percolate into the soil, mm -hmm. rather than it just becoming runoff and heading to the lake or the nearest water course. Mm -hmm. They also help reduce erosion. Yes, swales, no ditches. I was going to yes, say, swales, yes, no yeah. ditches. <laughs> yeah, swale is not a ditch, and um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Excellent. Do we have any other brave souls who would like to get their burning <coughs> questions <laughs> answered today? Oh, we've got one more. Yay. Am I better off taking out the salal and the ferns uh, in an area that cannot be mowed 
Um, once those are gone, I would expect grass and thistles to come in. And mm. as I say, uh, it's not a mowable area. Um, am I better with the natural vegetation or should I take it out? Very good question. In this booklet here too, I was looking up that as well because I always considered uh, salal to be high, to be highly flammable, and it seems like it is. But in this book, it actually is considered a fire-resistant plant, and same with ferns. I actually will. I wonder if Eli has any answers to that question. I can only say that I have uh, been on a wildfire burning in salal, and it was burning, but it was spreading fairly slowly in it. So. Um, I know it does burn, yeah. but it wasn't a, it wasn't a raging Salal fire, okay. so I would go with what's in the booklet there. Cool. But also ferns seem like they're fairly fire resistant too. Yeah. Uh, are they listed in there? Well, they are certainly moisture yes. loving. Oh, good, fire resistant. Because I think I mean that's a really good question because as. Whitney is always telling me, who's been on FOCU a couple of times, talking about soil and permaculture, is, you know, nature hates a vacuum. It's not like if you take out one thing, there's just going to be nothing. Oh, no, something else, probably on this island, scotch broom and, <laughs> and thistle, which we do not want, is going to come back. So yeah. I, th I think that's the, so the answer is leave the ferns and uh, the salau. Yeah, and I'd say, too, that it depends on what zone it's in as well. So just considering the zone and um, if it's really close to your house, maybe pushing it back a little bit. But, of course, plants, they also help retain moisture in the soil as well, and they help prevent erosion and, and all of that good stuff. So I, that's one of those things where I'd use your discernment and just see how close it is to your buildings and then just move from there. And, again, you could also potentially throw ground cover um, seeds I'm hoping, at, for those of you that are here today, I have some Clerkia seeds, which are native seeds. It's a great ground cover um, and a ground cover crop, so or mulch, rather. So considering, yeah, maybe just throwing some, some seeds down that make a really nice mulch um, to hold that moisture, hold the soil, and still are fire-resistant. I know that right now on the island over the next maybe like month or two that the SRD has... Oh, been working with different neighborhoods to do neighborhood fire smart plans and I'm hoping that some of that will include some opportunities for neighbors to come together to think about their overlapping zone firescaping plans what else should people know before we say goodbye anything no oh everyone's looking the other direction well I just want to I guess I'll just finish off by just you know, firescaping, as we said, is not only important for us and for our ecosystems and, and the local wildlife and for our neighbors and community, but also for our fire department, too. It have less stress on them, and uh, so we can all kind of do our work together and, yeah, just ask for support when you need it and offer support when you can and just do your best. Start at home and go from there. Thank you to our live studio audience who has braved some uh, some light rain and also now some way less light rain uh, <laughs> on this beautiful June BC day. Thank you so much for being here and thank you all of you at home who stayed tuned through this uh, you know interesting hybrid podcast. That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Radio dot C-A. Something lame it's got to say It's embarrassing, all the stupid things